0: If you were up on Facebook, you saw where we're going. If you were not, I had three places in mind as our next series. I settled on this one for a few reasons. One, it's been 16 years since we last did a close look at this hero and all the stories that surround him. Secondly, there's a secondary study that we can take up that has had people's interest of late. And third, I've been getting more insight just in contemplating the scriptures around this hero of faith more so than the other two areas I was considering. So tonight we begin a series looking at the life of Joseph with a side study of dreams, their potential, significance, how we can know if they have any significance at all, and where to go to learn their meaning. Now part of tonight's first look, we're going to go over the four levels of understanding that we can walk in. And we'll give you some examples of each one as well. Some of the signs that can tell us where we are. And that level of understanding can be different in each aspect of our lives. Now Joseph was the firstborn of Jacob's wife of choice. Rachel was of course the wife that he wanted. Leah was the wife that he got. And like his grandmother and great-grandmother before she was barren for some time. Now, Joseph has been talked about as a type of Christ, but never is Joseph referred to as a type of Christ in the Bible. Both are rejected due to a refusal to submit to the authority given them by their, by their father. Both are not prominent until about 30 years old. Joseph, as does Jesus, appears to be a harsh judge to his brothers until they get to know him as the provider. And Joseph did what he could as a provider for his brothers, even when they did not know him. And there's some other things you can get into, too, and see the how they tie in with each other. But let's go on here to, to the first verse of Genesis, chapter 37. Now, last time that we did this study, we took us about six weeks to get through the life of Joseph. Uh, we won't. Get through it quite that fast because we're going to take on the study of dreams. I don't expect this to be as long as James, but it will be longer than Jude. Since they were our last two that we had, had looked at. Verse one reads this way, Now Jacob dwelt in a land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Now, there was a number of questions that I asked here in these first couple of verses that I don't remember, remember asking before. And I'll share with you some of the answers that we can see. But in order to get some of these answers, we have to actually go through a whole lot of scriptures. And these are before the story of Joseph, just so we have an understanding of, of some of the things that went on here. First question is, how long was Jacob with Laban? The common thought is that he was there for 20 years. How many believe that, uh, how many heard that he was there 20 years? And they count that out as seven years for the first wife, seven years for the second wife, and then six years for labor we 're going to show you this week beyond really any reasonable doubt that that 's false he was He was not with him for twenty years he was actually with him for longer in genesis thirty one verse thirty eight This is a statement that he makes um, that uh, that Jacob made to Laban. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. In the day, the drought consumed me, in the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years, I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock and you have changed my wages 10 times. Now we'll get into a little bit more detail here. But it sounds like what he is saying is he was with Laban for 20 years. And so we're going to show you the, the, a broader picture of this. Not bringing in ideas that other people have of this, just taking what the scripture says about this this time frame in his life. Now we know that Jacob met rachel and he agreed to work for seven years for the dowry this is in genesis 29 and verse 1 start reading there so jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east and he looked and saw a well in the field and behold there were three flocks of sheep lying by it for out of that well they watered the flocks a large stone was on the well's mouth now, all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And um, we're going to skip ahead here to the, to the 19th chapter, or 19th verse. But just to give you a little explanation, what would happen here is that ev- everyone was gathering around the well. There was a covering that was over the well. And then uh, the covering was taken off. The reason for the covering over top of the well is this is a very dry climate. If you have a well, you don't want all the water to be evaporating out. So you cover the well to keep the water in the well and not evaporating out. The reason everybody is gathered together and they're all waiting for Rachel to get there. Apparently, Rachel's family is the one that owns it, and she is the the a single daughter, and she is um, uh, doesn't seem like there's any other sons to come on out. So she is the one that is bringing the uh, the sheep out here and they're all waiting. So they're all gathered around. Jacob comes in and he says, how come everybody's wasting the day away just sitting around here by the well? Just get the cover off and start watering the animals and get them back and pasture the sheep. And so they all say, well, we're waiting. So the idea of waiting here is, if you take that cover off, each time someone comes to the well then it can evaporate more. And so they want to wait until everybody gets there. You, you water the sheep twice a day. So they want to wait until everybody gets there. And then they're going to take the cover off and Jacob helps out with that. We can go on down to verse 19. You can read the rest of it if you want to, but we have a lot of scriptures to get through. So I'm trying to shorten which ones we can. And Laban said, because this verse 19, this is after he has met Rachel. He fell madly in love with her and he wants to marry her. And so he approaches her father about this, and Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her, and Laban gave his maid Zilpah, to his daughter Leah as maid. So it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter, Rachel, his wife also, and Laban gave his maid, Bilha to his daughter, Rachel, as maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel. He also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. So we're all familiar with the changes of wages that he had here. He served him for seven years, waited seven years in order to marry. He didn't have a dowry. He was a poor guy, so he didn't have a dowry to uh he didn't have any money to pay a dowry so in place of the dowry you could uh, offer service or work and so this is what he did he offered uh 7 years of of labor for um, for her hand and so they courted for those those 7 years and at the end of the 7 years he said all right it's time for my wedding day and so they said yeah of course it is and so we went into the wedding and <clears throat> he ended up with Leah and not the not Rachel whom he wanted now this apparently was a common practice for this area of the of the uh er, this area of the world what they would do is if they had an older daughter who had not been married because of either some physical defect some something is is not right something is wrong with the with the gal and nobody wanted to marry her then they would not marry the second daughter which I guess hopefully was, was more desirable until the first wa- daughter was. So they would do this switcheroo. This is not the first time this has been done. It's just that Jacob is new in the area and he didn't know that these kind of things would go on. And so this was done. So instead of working for him for seven years, now he's working for him for 14 years. Seven years for a wife he didn't want, seven years for the wife he did want. And so he just went along with that and we had the, the 14 years that he had done so. Now, he, I want you to see this part of the Scripture because this is kind of important for where we're going. Seven years, he is not married. Then after seven years, he spends the one week for the marriage week with Leah, and then he is he receives the second wife. So he actually has two wives for the last seven years. There is no opportunity for babies to come until the second seven years. And this is important to know for some of the timeline that we're going to show you in this. In, um, Genesis 30 and verse 25, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph. Now Joseph is the last of the eleven sons born. So this is the last one that was, that was done. Rachel was the, the last one to, to have, uh, have children. It came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, this is son number 11, that Jacob said to Laman, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name me your wages and I I will give it. So Jacob said to him, Do you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me? For what you had before I came was little and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when I, when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You should not give me anything. I will do this thing. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages. So my righteous righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. So we remove that day the male goat's. They were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hand of his sons. And he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of the Laban's flocks. Now this is an important part here. There's three days' journey between himself and Jacob. Before this this guy so he takes all the, the sheep that are going to be his wage. And he separates them, puts three days journey between them. So that they don't get mixed up, they don't get, a, they don't, uh, uh, become accused of, well, you took some of my stuff and put them in here with yours. <clears throat> now I have this question down in, I think it's in your outline. How old was Jacob when he left to find Rachel? When Jacob went on his journey to go and find Rachel, how old was he? This will help us in developing a timeline. In Genesis 25, 17, we find out that Ishmael lived to be 137 years old. You all remember Ishmael? That's the first son of Abraham. Ishmael was 14 years older than Isaac. He was born to Abraham when Abraham was 86 years old. You'll find that in Genesis 16, 16. And we know that Jacob and Esau were born to Isaac when he was 60 years old. So Isaac was 60. He has Jacob and Esau. So you can start, lo, you can start logging in the, the years for Jacob from that point. Now from these various ages we can determine in the year that Ishmael died, he died at 137 years old, That Isaac, who was 14 years younger, was 123 years old. So when Ishmael dies... This is important to understand. When Ishmael dies, Isaac is 123 years old. And since Jacob and Esau were born when Isaac was 60, then in the year Ishmael died, they would have both been 63 years old. This means that the oldest Esau could have been, when he went to visit Ishmael to marry his daughter, Mahalath, that the oldest he could be was 63 years old. Now, he probably did that after he saw that Jacob went off and married someone in the family. and So, they're both getting married around the same time. So, the oldest that Jacob could have been when he left for Paddan Aram or Haran was also 63. That's the oldest. He could have been younger. But the oldest he could have been with Ishmael still alive was 63 years old. He may have gone out there at 55. He may have gone out there at 60. We don't know. But we're going with the oldest that he could have been. The oldest that Jacob could have been when he left on this journey was 63 years old. How old was Jacob when Joseph was born? So in again in Genesis 37, we saw that uh, Joseph was, uh, was taken and sold to the Egyptians when he was 17 years old. We're going to do a lot of backtracking here on this. Uh, you can just sit back and listen unless you really want to write this down. But he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. And we know that, you know, 13 years he was, he was in the prison. He was, uh, all sorts of things were going on. But when he was 30 years old, he was brought out of the prison in order to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. So 13 years transpired between the time that he was taken into slavery in the time that he was brought before Pharaoh to interpret the dream. He was 30 years old when that happened. He told the dream that there would be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of severe famine. So when you add the seven years of plenty to the 30 years old that he was, he's now 37. When his brothers come to visit him during the years of, of severe famine, And after all the discourse that had gone on, he goes and he brings his father down to him. And that's in the second year of famine, Genesis 45 and 6. So Joseph was 30 years old at seven, at two. He is 39 years old. Joseph is 39 years old when he is reunited with his father and his father comes down to Egypt. We also know that Jacob left Canaan And came to Egypt when he was 130 years old. That's what it tells us right there in Genesis 47 and verse 9. So if we do all the adding and subtracting, take 130, that's how old that, uh, that Jacob is when he comes down to Egypt, and you subtract how old Joseph is, Joseph is 39, that tells us that Jacob was 91 years old when Joseph was born. Now how old was Jacob when he left Haran? So we know that Jacob was 91 years old when he told Laban he wanted to leave Haran. 91 years old is how old he is when Joseph is born. He goes six years of service from the time that Joseph is born. He serves him for six years. At the end of that six years he gets spooked. He thinks things are not going to go well and he sneaks out. And he leaves. Add the six years on. This is now going to make Joseph uh, Joseph, I'm sorry. This is now going to make Jacob 97 years old when he left Haran. So Jacob would be 97 years old. So we have very imp- two couple of very important dates. First off, we know that when Jacob's left Haran, he is 97 years old. The oldest he could have been when he came to Haran, do you remember how old? What is the oldest? 63 is the oldest. He could have been younger. 63 and 97. The difference is? 97. Subtract so to 63. 34 years old. 34 years old is the, is the timeline if you take the oldest that he could have been when he came to Haran. He could have been younger. So 34 years is the minimum he was there. He could have been there 40, but he was not there 20. It doesn't, it doesn't work out in a timeline in the Bible. So what this tells you is that the narrative we have, it's not inaccurate. It's not false. What it is, is it's incomplete. It is not telling us everything that happened. Now, you remember a statement that he makes to Laban. You have changed my wages how many times? Ten times. Is there any argument from Laban that he did that? There is not a single argument from that. If you go through, how many times can you count that the wages were changed? We don't come up with ten, do we? Three, four... So that means that there are some other wages, some other things that were accomplished that were changed that are not in the Bible narrative. They're left out because they didn't have the significance, they didn't have the, something was, was missing that uh, we just didn't need to, to know. It, it didn't play into all the other things. So at least 34 years he's in this place, that gives you 14 years unaccounted for that he worked for some kind of a wage, and we don't know what it was, but more than likely that's where the other ones came from. In, if you put up Genesis thirty thirty six again, let me go back to it here. We're still there. Okay, good. Look at this. Then he put. Um, that's thirty six. Why is that not the one I'm thinking of? Hang on a minute. No, it's okay. When he talks about the 20 years, he said, I served you 20 years in your house. In your house. When he puts three days distance between him and Laban, he is no longer in his house. The 20 years that he refers to is the time that he lived in the house with Laban. He does not refer to the time he lived outside of the house. So that's why we know we don't have quite all the years accounted for. Something else was going on. Bible's not being inaccurate. There's just some details that we don't need to know. You're going to see something else in here that has some details, refers to some details that we just don't necessarily need to know. Now, Genesis 37, I think I put that as a blank there. There must be some years missing from the narrative, and that's why we don't see all ten times the wages changed. The Bible says there was ten times the wages were changed. Laban doesn't argue that there was ten times in the that the wages were changed. We just don't get to see all of them. We got to see the one with the wives and the livestock, and, but uh, not all of them. Verse 2. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zippah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now these are not the genuine wives, these are the concubines. So the sons have kind of formed groups. We have the group that is Leah. She's the authentic wife. We have the group that is of the handmaiden and handmaiden one and handmaiden two. And they kind of feel more of a camaraderie amongst themselves because they're kind of, they're not full sons. And maybe the other sons are kind of, well, you're not a, you're not a real wife. You're not, your mom's not a real wife. They're probably throwing out some stuff like this, so there's probably some conflict in there among the sons. But here we have these two groups, the ones that are of the of the maids, maidservants. They're kind of together. And Joseph, who was one of the true wives, in fact, the favorite wife, he's over there checking up on them. He brings back a bad report. They're not doing what they ought to be doing. They're not... Um, They're not going after this thing the way that they should. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. How could the timeline of the birth of the sons have occurred in just seven years? If you turn over to Genesis 29, verse 31, this is a description of the birth of the sons. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved he opened her womb but Rachel was buried now again if God the the people of Israel see the hand of God in places where the hand of God is not necessarily just because they, they they say well God did this didn't mean that God actually did it it just meant they saw that God didn't stop it so therefore God didn't stop it. God did it that's how they they viewed things we've gone over that before so Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Reuben is the firstborn of the sons. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction, now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So he named his, his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now this is all given after the seven years of service for the wives. We had the double marriage, a week apart, And now we're describing the birth of the sons. If this occurs in a seven year period. Now think about this. First off, she has to get pregnant. That takes you know a little bit of time and then you got 9 months until delivery there are there is no formula so they are nursing if a mom is nursing how quickly does she get pregnant again it slows it down generally they don't get pregnant until they stop nursing but it's not always that way you can get pregnant it is possible to get pregnant while you are nursing i know there've been cases like that but let's just say that there is a year between each one that is kind of a conservative or not? That's I don't know what you would call it, but that's a, that's a generous assumption that she could have a baby each year. So if we're working in a seven-year period and she's had four at best, we are looking at year five. At best, we're looking at year five. More than likely, in order to have four children after one after another, there probably be a little bit more time than that. But let's just say that it was five years. That's five of the seven years gone. We got four kids. We still gotta get all the way down to Joseph. So, she stops bearing. How long does it take until you realize that you stop bearing? (laughs) I mean, it, it doesn't happen after the baby's born. Oh, wait a minute, I'm not getting pregnant again. There has to be a little bit of time that goes on to where you realize that you stop bearing. Verse 1 of chapter 30. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, uh, Am I in the place of God who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here is my maid Bilhah. In, go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then, gave, then she gave him Bilhah, her maid as wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. I didn't comment on this in the first group of them, but did you notice how each time a baby was born a conclusion was reached? As we were talking about on Sunday, just because you come to a conclusion based upon things that have happened in your life does not mean that conclusion is right. And if you go back and you look at some of the conclusions that these folks came to they're not right. But they still came to him. And it's still in the Bible because they came to him. Not because God said these. that's what was true. That's just the conclusion they came to. So God has judged my case. He has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's uh, made Bilhah conceived again and, and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestling I have wrestled with my sister and indeed I have prevailed. You can see God behind that, can't you? <laughs> so God. So she called his name Nephtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob, Jacob his wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, "A troop comes," so she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, "I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed." So she called his name Asher. Now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you also take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have surely hired you for my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Do you think God is rewarding her because she gave her maid to her husband? And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulon. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. In this narrative, we have 11 sons born and one daughter. What is the likelihood that you would have 11 sons and one daughter in a span of seven years? It's not real high, is it? See, the only reason we are told of the one daughter is because she is involved in a situation that will that will get them kicked out of an area of the country, get a whole bunch of people mad at them, and uh, disqualify Simeon and Levi from leadership in the tribes. And all that involves around this situation with their, their sister. Not getting into that here tonight. But that's the only reason that she's mentioned. Which would tell us there's a good possibility that there's other daughters born along the way. Because it doesn't probably happen that you just keep going sons and no daughters. But the daughters probably come, they don't mention them. You can tell from the way they describe this, they feel like we're in competition. The more sons I have, the more my husband will love me. And um, that's, just, that's how they viewed things. That's not how God viewed things. That's how they viewed the things. So in a seven-year period, if five years of this are taken up with Leah having the first four, are you going to accomplish getting the rest of them in the latter two years? Probably not. So this is why you can see that he is there for a longer period of time than 20 years. It is probably at least, well, we know it's at least 34, and it may even have been longer that he was there. So he is there for all this this time. There is a phrase that is used here. In verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. If all this is done in the seven year period before the six year starts. Because remember Joseph is born and then the six year period starts. That six year period ends with him leaving. If he is the son of his old age, how does he get that distinction from the other ten sons if the, the oldest one was born just six years ago? How is that possible? How, how would you get a distinction, this is the son of my old age? There would have to be a significant difference between the age of the firstborn to the age of the tenthborn and then a gap and then the birth birth of Joseph because there was something unique about him and he is a lot older when Joseph is born so he gets the name you are the son of my old age and he made him a tunic of many colors now this tunic Oh, I gave you some uh, blanks in there. I didn't fill them in for you. If we understand the final six years of service, we're not immediately following the second seven years of service. We can understand the timeline a whole lot better. So there's probably other daughters that are born. The sons that are born, we know about. We know about every son that is born. We probably don't know about every daughter. Now, Look at this. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. When I was reading over this, I would ask myself a question. When was Benjamin born? Was Benjamin born before Joseph is sold into slavery? Or is Benjamin born after he is sold into slavery? Look at some of the the things that can uh, help us ponder this a little bit. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. If Joseph is the son of his old age and Benjamin is born many years after that, wouldn't Benjamin be the son of his very old age? (laughs) And if he is the son of his very old age, would that not be cause, according to this verse, for him to love him? And he's also the son of his uh, favored wife, Rachel. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. If Benjamin was born, wouldn't that include Benjamin? And when we, you all know the story of Joseph. So we can jump ahead a little bit on this. Is there not a favoritism between the father and Benjamin in the family? He sends all the kids except for Benjamin, you guys go and get us some food. Benjamin stays home. When they come back and say, we have to take Benjamin, what happens to dad? Oh, you guys are going to kill me. Oh, no. <laughs> he doesn't like this. So all the favoritism that had fallen on Joseph seems to fall on him. Now we'll jump ahead here again on the, on the dream. Do you remember when the, in the dream that Joseph has, that he says in the first one, that the eleven brothers or the eleven stars come and bow. Do you remember that that part? The eleven st- stars come and bow. They're bowing before who? Joseph. If there are eleven stars, how can there not be eleven sons? Now it also said that in the second dream that the sun and the moon come and the father says, shall your mother and I bow before you too? At the birth of Benjamin, what happened? Rachel dies. So there is really only a very small window, 5, 10, 15 minutes, I don't know, maybe an hour, for which Rachel and Benjamin are on the earth at the same time. So how do we have in the dream the mother represented and the eleventh son? I guess I didn't know enough to ask that question before. So when was when might have Benjamin been born? This is an answer we're going to try and, and delve into as we get into this into this series. Now Rachel's death is covered in chapter 35, but this chapter starts off with this is the history so it can go back a ways. It can go back before chapter 35 and still be okay because this is the history of Jacob. We're going, we're going to go back here, we're going to look at the history of Jacob and we're going, to, we're going to bring this up. So the fact that Rachel dies in chapter 35 and we're in chapter 37 does not mean anything as far as the significance of the timeline. So if this is before Joseph's slavery, again, why is, why are there 11 sons in Joseph's dream? Why isn't Benjamin mentioned in any of the discourse that happens with the brothers? When Joseph quizzes his brothers about the family, is he trying to determine the health of Benjamin or possibly the existence of another brother? If he knew Benjamin was there, then he would know to ask about him. If he didn't know, he may be asking questions to find out if there is any other brothers. Now, when you look at the, the part as far as the, the father saying, shall, you, shall your mother come, perhaps we're just looking at the fact that Rachel was the matriarch of the family. She was the head wife. She was the favored wife. She was the one Joseph went to. Um, this this was his wife. Leah was the unloved one, as it, as it is called. But when Rachel dies, someone has to take over that matriarchal place. And so perhaps the reference to mother is just simply a reference to Leah, because Leah would have been the one that would have uh, filled that that spot. But we'll we'll get into that more as we get down to that area of time. Now, most times we, see, we read these chapters, the dreams seem to be the biggest instigator of the trouble he has with his brothers. But it seems actually it was his position. You remember it says that he made him a tunic of many colors and many things have been made about these many colors. We've covered this before, so if you haven't been here in a little while, we'll go over this, this detail. But this, the same phraseology, tunic of many colors, is only used one other place in Scripture. And if we go and we look at that particular scripture, and I I think I may have written the uh, reference down. Pretty sure I left that in your, in your outline for Second Samuel thirteen eighteen through nineteen. We're not going to go there, but the word translated "colors" could also mean long sleeved. It may not be a coat of many colors. It may be a coat of long sleeve. What this means is that he was, he was management. He was the white collar guy. Everybody else is the blue-collar worker. He's the white-collar worker. He doesn't have to, to sweat the stuff. He needs to organize. He's the organizer. He's the uh, the one to make sure that everything is working, everything that we need is ordered. That's his role. And the brothers don't like it because he has this position. He has a position over him. Now, if Joseph is significantly younger than the other brothers can you see where this would be an even bigger problem that's why we spent time for you to see that uh, there's a there's a difference between Joseph age wise and the rest of the brothers which is why he is called the son of his old age because there's there could be five ten there is some significant difference in the age of Joseph with the rest of his brothers and he is given leadership over them. And every time they saw him, and he's over there bossing them, can you imagine being bossed around by a little brother? Family of 12, or 11 brothers at this point, 11 brothers, and the youngest one, who just is the, the, I mean, youngest. You're a, you're maybe a teenager, maybe even in your twenties. And if you go through the passages where you look at some of the kids that were born, I think, the uh, one of them had 10 kids when they, were, we're marching... Ten, 10 boys. Now, that takes a little while to have that. Can you imagine the significance of having someone who's 15 years younger than you telling you what you ought to do? Now, he went into slavery at 17. So he's had this position for a little bit. Can you imagine a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid telling someone who's 25, 30 years old what they ought to be doing? How they ought to be, be uh, getting things going, and the father's behind it. You listen to your brother. Dad, he doesn't know anything. He hasn't hasn't been doing this thing. You listen to your brother, and they, he gives him this coat to make sure you, this is the guy you got to listen to. I'm telling you, you got to listen to this guy. He's got the long sleeve coat. He's got the management coat on. They are angry at the brother because of the position. Not much. There's other reasons too, but the uh, the position that he has is is huge. The uh, oh, I I forgot some notes on um on that long sleeve uh, coat there. Tamar was the one who had that in in the uh, Second Samuel, and of course she was um, uh, taken by her brother, and she came out of the room. She had lost her virginity, and you remember what she did. She tore the sleeves off of the coat to signify that that was lost. This is the name of the the same the same wording is used. So there's long sleeves that are involved more so than the the multicolored. Now, when we take a look at these uh, dreams, and I'm sure all of you are pretty familiar with Joseph's dreams. The first dream was that the 7 or the, sorry that the 11 brothers come and they bow down and the second dream is and not only the 11 brothers come but the sun and the moon which is interpreted to mean that uh even Jacob said shall your mother and I come and uh, bow down to you as well and so there's a there's a serving that's there there's there's so forth but their understanding of this vision is very weak these are the most unspiritual group of guys Joseph's brothers, they really don't seem to have any spiritual depth to them at all. They will eventually get some. Some, not a whole lot, but they're very flesh-oriented people. They get angry. They do things and they wiped out an entire city. Two of them wiped out an entire city of the men because they got angry at something with over the, the, the Dinah incident. But their idea is rulership and that we come and we bow down. And most people that you hear teach on the dreams of Joseph are teaching on the same level. Joseph was going to be a ruler. This is what these dreams are about. Joseph is going to be a ruler. Joseph's brothers are going to come and bow down. And it's all about predicting this. And so I began to ponder just this aspect of it. And in the area of dreams and interpretation, in the area of, of understanding, in anything spiritual, there are four levels of understanding. You can write down as much of this as you choose to. Four levels of understanding. The first level is a flesh level. I know what scripture says. I know what the dream was. I know what is stated. A flesh level. I know what scripture states. The scripture, this one scripture right here, this is what it tells me to do. And I take a flesh level understanding of this and that's all that I do. We'll give you some examples of this after we get through the definition the second one I put in here is a mind or a soul level of understanding I see the concept scripture is teaching or reason out an understanding but I'm missing the full picture so in this one I go beyond the flesh the flesh part just sees one scripture and I come out with one understanding of the thing or some kind of understanding just one scripture and that's it I don't look at anything else I just how does my flesh respond to that oh I don't like that oh I, yeah I like that and we, we just do it on a flesh level In a reasoning area, I'm trying to say, all right, well, let's see what this scripture means. And we try and reason that with all these other scriptures and try and come up with a a mind or a soul aspect of this thing, reasoning things out. Jesus ran into this, Paul ran into this, where people reasoned the scriptures. They reasoned things out. They're taking this one, this one, this one, and this one, and they're coming up with an understanding. Most of the time they come out with an understanding is wrong. The Sadducees had an understanding from Scripture that there was no resurrection. It was wrong. Jesus would oftentimes tell people, you're not understanding the Scriptures. There's something you're not seeing in this. So that's the mind or the soul level. It's a little bit better than a flesh level, but you're not going to get very far. Here's the third level. This is the wisdom level. The Holy Spirit shows me how to live what I understand. So I'm gaining understanding of what the Scripture is saying. I'm not just reasoning things out. I'm actually understanding what the Word is saying. And the Spirit of God has given me wisdom how I can take what I understand from Scripture and live it. Actually make it work in my life. That is the third level of understanding. Here's the fourth level of understanding. Revelation. The Holy Spirit opens up my eyes to see more. I can just I can see it clearly. It's revelation. It has been revealed. I see that. I couldn't even see this before. I see it now. It's like you're in a dark room, and you got a flashlight. You turn that flashlight on, and all of a sudden you can see what is there. You can see it. Understanding comes to you because you can see it, and that's what the Word of God does. When revelation comes to us, it's like a light comes on. If we just take a look at this dream, these two dreams that Joseph has, the flesh level is what we have with the brothers and most people today. They just look at that scripture and they try and get an understanding of it. Well, it's about rulership, it's about leadership, it's about uh, bowing down. So this was a prediction that the sons were going to come and bow down. Very low level understanding, very low level revelation. This is what most people walk in when they're talking about this dream. A mind level... Joseph is called into to leadership. This is a vision that was given to him, a dream that was given him to call him in the area of leadership. Well, that's reasoning a little bit more of the scriptures. You're getting into to more of the things that happen later on, bringing in, but you're still missing it. Wisdom and revelation, well, we're going to get into that. That's still to come. We're going to take a look at those levels, how that level we can, uh, we can reach that. Taking it into a couple of other areas so that you can, you can visualize these, these four levels. Jesus teaching on the resurrection. When Jesus taught on the resurrection, he said, The Son of Man will be betrayed. He will be offered up. He will be beaten, crucified, dead, and buried. When he began to teach them these things and to rise again on the third day, the people were sad that he taught it to. The disciples, they were sad. Because all they had was a flesh level. They're just hearing what he is saying. They're interpreting what that means for their life. And I'm sad. That means Jesus is not going to be here. It means Jesus is going away. It means Jesus is dying. And so all they had was a flesh level understanding of that, and they didn 't like it. Peter later on, he gets more of a mind or soulish area. he reasons these things out, he hears Jesus begin to teach more on these things, and he pulls Jesus aside, he rebukes him. You remember what Jesus said about that? Get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God but of the things of men. See the the mind was involved, the reasoning was involved. Very low level still, not spiritual at all. These first two levels, they really have no spiritual value to them in any way. Wisdom would be would have been looking for Jesus on the third day. If you were going to operate on a wisdom level of this, on the third day, you would have had, how am I supposed to walk this thing out? Well, if I'm going to walk this thing out what Jesus said, he said on the third day he would rise again. So on the third day, I need to be looking for Jesus. And the wisdom on that level of of understanding, I would have been out in the third day not looking for someone in a tomb, but I would have been looking for Jesus to be resurrected. Was anyone doing that? They were not. There was no one who was walking on that level, which is really the the only spiritual level we, we have of those three. The third one, or the fourth one here, was Revelation. When the people were on the road to Emmaus and they were talking about Their flesh level understanding of the events that happened with Jesus. And Jesus walking with them, they didn't see, they didn't recognize him, their eyes weren't open. Jesus is walking with them and he said, oh, how is it that you don't know this? And he began going all the way back in the Old Testament and describing for them what had gone on, how these things needed to be so. And after the end of all that, it says that their eyes were opened and they knew it was Jesus. That is a revelation level. All of a sudden, their eyes are open. What they were looking at, what they were seeing, they couldn't put it together. But then all of a sudden, they saw it because they got into that revelation mode. This is an area that we need to get into. This is Jesus teaching on the resurrection. This is how these four levels come into play for us. And I I I, uh, pulled out a topic. You can see this, and I know this affects the church quite a bit today. affects the world quite a bit today so it's an easy one to to get a hold of but you know the word of God says thou shalt not commit adultery and there's some words in there that talk about immorality adultery all these different things are, are in the word a flesh level understanding of what the Bible teaches on this topic leads to seeing sex as unholy and not of God this is where a lot of people come from they come from an idea that that sex is unholy that God looks the other way When that's when that's going on, that um, this 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 is uh, uh, it's not important. We we see it as uh, as as terrible, and so most people are taught, as a single person, that you don't get involved in adulterous or immoral relationships with people because God doesn't want you to, because God gets mad at you if you do. It's a flesh level understanding you've missed the entire point of what the Word of God is telling you. And it's much like Adam and Eve in the garden. We're not supposed to eat it or touch it. And because they had the wrong understanding, or at least she did, she had the door open for her to, to get the wrong things coming in. And the devil was able to get her to go ahead and do that. We get into a mental area of this, mind or soulish realm. We reason out what kind of sex is okay. What kind of relationships between a man and a wife are okay? Or people begin to reason out. Churches begin to reason out. Other aspects of things too. Between men and men and women and women. And they begin to reason these things out. This is not a, a spiritual level, but this is how people fall into this. This is how people get into, into these things. A the wisdom level understands the overall purpose of intimate relations and the harm they can cause if I go beyond the boundaries. God is not trying to say that sex is bad. What God is trying to say is there's a purpose for this. I want you to have the wisdom and the understanding of what this is supposed to be and walk in it, how you're supposed to walk in this. When we do that, we begin to understand other areas of Scripture where Paul... Well, let's go on to the, the, the fourth one, revelation level. This is where, like Paul was, was saying, he had a revelation of self-imposed celibacy. He said, you ought to become as I am. He says He has decided... I have a revelation from God. And it's what he, he called it. I have a revelation from God and this is the way I walk. Some of you, you would be doing better if you walked along the same way I'm walking. But I'll leave that up to you. And so he he walked without having those things going on. He, he stayed unmarried. So like Paul's revelation of self-imposed celibacy or the other one that he threw out there, not withholding in marriage. Don't the the, the intimacy shouldn't be withheld inside a marriage. Because people, the enemy, as we 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 went over this with you years ago, but the enemy is always trying to mess up the things of God. He's trying to get people that are single to have more intimate relationships and the people that are married to have less. Because he knows that inside a marriage, it's supposed to help. What he does with a marriage is that somehow he gets inside the head of one of them and one person begins to lose interest and the intimacy in the marriage begins to dwindle becomes less and becomes less and becomes less the intimacy of marriage is supposed to feed many other aspects of the relationship those things are no longer being fed when they're not being fed it is i've seen this written on in a number of different places when it's not being fed generally the person who started backing off on the sexual on the the uh, intimate relationships is also the first one to complain that certain aspects of the marriage aren't there. Because the things are not being there to be to be feeding that. Well, we can go on that and give you a lot more on it, but there's no, no uh, real purpose in that. What I want you to see, four levels of understanding. Some people walk according to the flesh or the mental ones, and they think that is spiritual, and it is not. It will hinder you. It will hold you back if that is the level for which you walk on. For some people, in the area of faith, we may have a wisdom or revelation level of understanding. In the area of finances, we may have a flesh level or we may have a mental level of understanding. It's not going to help you. It's going to hinder you if you continue to walk in that, especially with the people who think that that level of understanding is higher than it is. We need to understand what these things are. So as we get through this series, we're going to take a look at this and understand these four levels of understanding and how they can affect your life, how they affect how you see things in the Word of God. You need to learn how to detect a flesh level, how you can de- detect a reasoning or a mental level, and how to detect a wisdom or a revelation level. Because it is the wisdom and revelation level that will send you to higher levels in the, in your walk with the Lord. It is the flesh level and the reasoning level that will anchor you and keep you back. If you look at the prayers that Paul prays for the Ephesians in chapter 1, chapter 3, and Colossians chapter 1, you're going to see this is what he's praying for. He wants the your understanding to get into the wisdom and the revelation area, not stay in the flesh and reasoning areas. You cannot stay in the flesh and reasoning areas and have the success that God wants you to have. But there are many people who walk in a flesh or a reasoning area and try to pass it off as spiritual as one of the spiritual levels to those who know it's repugnant and that's why Jesus had such a hard time with people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they took their flesh level understanding and tried to pass it off to the people as a spiritual level of understanding and Jesus knew this is not what you're passing it off to be and you're deceiving these people by bringing them into this we need to understand these four levels of understanding. How I can detect where I am and how I can move myself out beyond where I where I am. If you do not determine that I am walking in a flesh level understanding on this, I am walking in a reasoning level of understanding on this, you will not get made better in those things. I have to come to a place where I say, God, I really don't know what I'm doing on this. I... I think I understand what it says, but I don't know what it means. I don't know how to take what it says and put it into my life and make it work. And that's the beginning of it. And we start praying those prayers, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1 for ourselves. When we get our understanding to open up, and we get into a higher level, it will change our life. And we're going to show you some things about Joseph throughout the course of his life, how this changed his And he is just one of the one of my favorite characters in the Bible, and um, I'm looking forward to us going through here again, getting some things we didn't see in the first time through. Father, I thank you that your desire is to move us on in our level of understanding, from the lower levels to the higher levels, to be walking in the level of wisdom, walking in the level of revelation. I thank you for the way that You lead us, the way that You alert us when we're walking into something that we shouldn't. And I thank You for the encouragement that these levels of understanding will bring to our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.